Okay, uh, <clears throat> need you guys to be brave and bold and vote on some things or raise your hand on some things. Not vote, just raise your hand, respond, show up here, all right? Uh, how many of you have, can recall a memory that was like amazing, awesome, beautiful, really sweet time from a previous Christmas? How many of you have had awesome, great, beautiful memory from Christmas? Fantastic, love it, all the way. If you didn't raise your hand, we'll pray for you at the end of church. Uh, how many of you can, can recall a sad memory from a Christmas season? Maybe a disappointment, hurt, sad thing that happened over Christmas, right? They have a sad, right? Most people. The truth is, every Christmas has incredible opportunities for great and wonderful memories, and then it also has opportunity for some really sad ones, um, it's a unique season in which we're building memories, but not every one of them is awesome. In fact, my, my earliest, one of the earliest memories I have uh, from Christmas season was uh, we were coming up to the end of school that semester before Christmas break, and I was in first grade. I was like six years old, six, six, seven. And um, the teacher changed the seating assignment chart and she moved me to a different chair in first grade. And I was destroyed. And I cannot, for the life of me, remember why I loved where I was sitting. I think I was flirting with a girl. or I don't know what it was, all right? But I just was so sad. And I have in my mind, even now, uh, that late that night, we're in bed. It was past bedtime. And we had been already, we're supposed to be already be asleep. And I'm sitting up in my bed and I'm weeping so sad that I've been moved out of my chair, my awesome chair. I don't know what was so awesome about the chair, but I just was so upset. And so my mom's like, she's like, what's wrong? What's going on? She came in. But I have like, in my mind, I can see, I like had tears in my eyes and I was looking, we had a little mini, my brother and I had a little mini tree in our room with colored lights because mom would never put colored lights on the real tree. She was, it was always white lights, which is a thing I got to pray through. But anyway, I, we had our own little mini tree with the colored lights in our room and I could see it and they were right in my eyes. And so she was like, she tried to love on me and comfort me. And I think she was possibly like really over a seat. But anyway, she, she was with there with me. But I remember one of my greatest Christmas memories is actually this really sad one that kind of took over me. And if you find yourself in this life, there seems to be this crazy dichotomy between what's really amazing and what's really sad and really challenging. John chapter 10, Jesus makes this statement. He says, listen, there's this thief that comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come to give you life and life abundantly or life to the full. That's why I came. It's why I'm here. It's why I'm in the flesh. That's what I want to bring to you. And yet just a few chapters later in John chapter 16, he also says this. He says, in this life, you are going to have troubles. And if, you're, if you take a step back from it, it seems to be a little bit contradictory. Is it, Jesus, we're going to, if we come into life and relationship with you, we're going to have fullness and abundance, or is it, in this life, we're going to have troubles? Which is it? is it? Can it actually be both? How do you have abundant life, but then also troubles at the same time? It seems maybe to not coincide very well. Is it possible that we fundamentally misunderstood what Jesus meant by this thing calling 
us to abundant life? Is it possible that we can have trouble in this life, but also experience life to the full? That's the question. Is it possible? I think we're going to get to see from Scripture that it's possible we've misunderstood what it actually means to receive and to live in and walk in the fullness of life, what it means to have abundant life, how we can experience troubles and sadness and grief and disappointment and still have the abundant life that Jesus came to give us. That's the question. And I'm going to tell you the answer. What does it look like for us to be able to have that? I'm going to give you the answer, and then we're just going to try to unpack it. We'll, go, we'll start with the answer, and we're going to go backwards and begin to unpack that for us. And here's the way you and I experience the fullness of life. We have to bring our sadness to God as a gift to him. Bring our sadness to him and begin to receive the fullness that comes from his presence. Because here it is, church, that's where abundance actually is. We're not going to find it always in the circumstances. In fact, I think what Jesus was saying is you're going to live a lot of life and it isn't going to feel abundant or full. It's going to have with it troubles. But there's an abundant life that can be experienced in and through those circumstances, but it's going to have to come with you and I showing up in a very real and authentic way with the hurts, wounds, disappointments, grief, sadness that we experience in this life. And that's where we get to pick up the story in Luke chapter one, where we get to see this actually in action in a part of the Christmas story. Luke chapter one, you guys can look at it starting in verse five. It says, in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now, let's just pause. I, if, for those that have desired to conceive, to have family, there's not many things more hurtful or more sad than this moment. Can we just pause for a minute? We're going to get to the rest of the story. It's beautiful. But can we just pause for a minute and recognize that we're looking at a couple who we're going after God and seeking after righteousness and giving after him and giving unto him and walking in the commandments and wanting to live unto the Lord, but had experienced an entire full lifetime to old age, not being able to have children and how sad that actually is. That's a hurtful and disappointing thing to experience. Any of you that have walked with those that have not been able to have children and desired it, you know how heartbreaking. There's not many things that are more heartbreaking. than that. That's sad. It's hard. And so we get a chance to come and think about just for a moment the real issues that actually happen in our life. Can we just do that for a moment? That we all experience real moments of sadness, things that we experience that 
we didn't want to have, but they have happened. What is sadness often, but what, when we experience loss or hurt or disappointment, something that didn't come about or something that we wanted, right? I hoped that my marriage would be this way or that way. I hoped that my career would go this way, or I hoped that my income would be this, or I hoped my relationship with children would be different or like that, or I hoped that I would feel more free or that I wouldn't struggle with sin this way, or I wish that I would have more time for this or that, or I wish that my body had responded this way, or I had didn't have this sickness, or I hope that I would never have this particular struggle in my life, and yet all of those things happen in very real ways in every one of our lives, and from that comes pain. From that comes sadness. That's real sadness that we all experience. I have yet to meet anyone in this life that hasn't experienced sadness, and I've never met anyone that goes, man, can I have some more of it? It's not something that any of us really ever want to experience, and yet it is so common to the human experience. And Elizabeth and Zechariah are experiencing that same sadness, hurt, disappointment, living their whole lives, feeling that unfulfilled thing in them, and yet God is here and he's ready to break through in one of the most powerful ways he wants to break in through in their lives. We'll pick up the story and see how it goes. Chapter 1, verse 8. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. By the way, this is a once-in-a-lifetime moment for Zechariah to get to do this. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. We talked about fear last week. The angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you'll have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Unbelievable, awesome, amazing news. But the problem is that sadness is tricky because we don't enjoy feeling sad. And because we often don't enjoy feeling sad, what we do is we tend to bury. We like to sweep things away and pretend like they're not there. No one enjoys feeling sadness, so we want to try to get rid of it. And if you grew up in at least parts of the church, we have this amazing way of, of, of kind of utilizing our faith somehow to shame people who are experiencing, experiencing it, meaning something like this. If you had strong faith, then you wouldn't be sad. 
If you had amazing faith, well, that would just get rid of your sad. You should never be sad if you're a man or a woman of faith. You should never, right? We've talked about that before. What happens whenever you say the word should? Anytime the word should's coming out of your mouth, what's happening? Shame is being thrown on people. We're throwing shame. You should never feel sad. Listen, you're a man or a woman of faith. We should this thing all the time when we have these moments, these experiences of sadness. And by the way, I'd say growing up in America, we just aren't, we aren't comfortable with sadness at all. You know why? Because we equate sadness with weakness. We say, oh, you're feeling sad. Well, you must be weak, right? Or you're seen as inferior or you're seen as maybe just not dependable if you actually experience that because we're Americans. You just got to get over it, buck up and keep on moving forward, right? Shake it off. You ever said that to yourself before? You got to shake it off and just keep, keep moving forward, right? I remember, uh, in fact, I'll just share like one, my number, almost my number one dad fail ever. Uh, my son was playing baseball. I was just an assistant coach on the baseball team. And he was, ironic, he was six years old. <laughs> so same age that I was. So he's six or, or he may have been seven, six or seven years old. He's playing baseball. He goes out there and he strikes out. And he comes back to the dugout and he's just weeping. He's really sad, really distraught that he struck out. And so I'm in the dugout. And I was like, hey, man, it's okay. Get him next time. No worry about it. All right. It's okay. But he, he keeps crying. And so I said, okay, man, hey, you got hey, to shake it off. Going to be okay. All right. Don't worry about it. Got to move on to the next thing. Leave it alone. Let's keep moving forward, okay? And he keeps crying. And I do the classic American dad thing. Now I say classic. I'll just throw myself under the bus. I just looked at him and I said, hey, man, uh, you got to stop crying or we're not going to play anymore. Just totally shamed my son. Just was not okay with his emotion. Not okay with his sadness. And just in that moment said, listen, hey, I mean, just did that. Hey, you got to be tough. Time to toughen up. Get your thing. Stop your whining. Let's keep moving forward. Instead of meeting him in that place, just totally shamed him. It's awful. And listen to me. I have, I have repented of that moment with my son. I promise you that. It was one of the, in fact, one of the saddest things I've ever, I'm, I sat there in that moment and didn't allow him to feel his feelings, be sad, and took that and stole that from him. And I had to repent to him. And by the way, this is just a side note. Parents, if you want your children to understand and know what it means to repent, you got to come and repent to them when you've messed up, period. You got to just say, I blew it. I'm so sorry. Would you forgive me? And that's a hard thing to do, but I do it all the time. <laughs> all the time. I've continued to make mistakes since he was six years old. Anyway. The easiest thing in the world to do is to go, hey, don't feel the sadness, whether we tell ourselves or often tell other people. But if we, have, if we live a life where this normal experience, this normal emotion that comes from real circumstances in our lives, if sadness can't actually be expressed or our faith does not allow us to be able to have that kind of an emotion, and when we can't actually acknowledge it, and we can't share it, 
then sadness has its way of rooting itself and creating this hard exterior that we put up so that we never have to feel it ever again. Because again, I'll go back and say, nobody enjoys feeling sadness, and yet it's one of the most normal things in the world to experience. And so what we want to do in order to protect ourselves from future sadness is we bury it down, and we aren't honest about it. We don't bring it up. It's actually, hear this, it's the opposite of an abundant life. It's the opposite of abundant life, meaning if abundant life is fullness and freedom and being able to show up to everything that's going on in my life and not having to hide from anything, but being real and out there, if the abundant life is those things, then the opposite of an abundant life is being locked down and burying things where no one else can see, no one else can experience, to self-protect to wall off in order to keep ourselves safe from the risky world out there. And when that sadness never actually gets brought to the Lord, it has this way of creating this self-pity on the inside. And we begin to protect ourselves rather than come into the presence of God who can protect us. And just newsflash, you are bad at protecting yourself compared to the king of the universe who's ready to protect your heart. Those are the two options you actually have. I can lock down deep and not be real in order to not feel and not share with anyone else, or I can come authentically and bring everything in the fullness of life to the king who knows exactly what I need. Self-pity is what we do as a defense to not have to feel sadness. We don't want to have to feel these things. We don't want to feel. So self-pity goes something like this. And don't worry, I won't make you raise your hand, but hear me if you've ever said something like this, right? Nothing ever goes right for me. It's, never, it's always for someone else and never for me. No matter how much I try, things still turn out real bad. I keep trying, I keep trying. I do, I do this and I do that. Nothing ever works out, right? I'm always the one who has to sacrifice. I'm always the one. This is what we do to self-protect. And by the way, this is actually exactly where we find Zechariah in this story. Luke chapter one, go right to the very next verse, verse 18. It says in Zechariah, so the angel just said, the Lord's gonna give you a son. He's gonna prepare the way. This is the prophet Elijah. It was prophesied by the way. Malachi at the very end of the Old Testament turned the hearts of the fathers to the sons and sons to the father. That's what I'm gonna do. That's what this prophet that's going to come to prepare the way of the Lord. That's what I'm going to give to you. Look at what he says. Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Now, do you hear that? If what he's saying is, God, if you wanted to do something, you missed the window. He's there. He's actually doing the same thing. He's there to self-protect. Now, listen, Uh, if an angel shows up in front of you and you start arguing with the angel, can we just say you're a little hurt inside? I mean, just be honest. All right, angel comes and you want to go blows with him about his idea 
Okay. Zechariah has been really wounded. Okay. And that's what's happening here. And the angel answered him. And I love his answer because God's just good. The angel answered him and said, I am Gabriel and I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Now, why does God silence him? Why does God silence him? I, I think it's just because he loved him. And he just said, dude, you need to zip it, okay? All right? You got so much hurt. You've been self-protecting. And when I send you an angelic messenger, you're going to fight me on this thing. You're not even going to believe me. You're going to, what is he? He's locked up. Totally cannot receive what God wants to do. Won't believe it. Unbelievable, right? It feels unbelievable, except for that. I don't know that we can really judge Zechariah very much because this is what we all tend to do with the Lord, isn't it? I mean, if we just think about it for a moment, we open our hearts. You know, open your heart to the word of God and the truth of God and the promises of God. But hardship and pain and disappointment and sadness happen in our lives. And rather than bringing that as a gift to the Lord and saying, God, I'm so hurt. I'm so sad. I'm so disappointed here. Where are you? Would you speak to me? We go, uh, I don't know. I mean, all your promises, I mean, it sounds good for him. It sounds good for her. It's not for me. All that you're preaching on, preacher, man, that sounds so good. I don't know how many of you have had somebody that you've met in your life you believe the greatness for, man. You're going like, God is doing a thing in you, and he has such promises for you, and they're going through the struggle, and you're like, man, the Lord's for you, and he's coming after you, and he sees your heart, and he wants to bring life to you, but you don't believe it for yourself. Believe it for everyone else, but not for yourself. Church, that's called self-protecting. That's called lockdown. That's called, I can't actually authentically show up to my God in, in real ways. It's not a full, abundant life. It's self-protection. It's making ourselves our God. So that when God says, hey, I'm about to do something amazing in your life. You aren't ready and open for what's next. And that's where Zechariah is at. God's saying, hey, man, I know you've been praying this prayer for what is years now. Because by the way, didn't, didn't you hear what the scripture said? It said, I've heard your prayers. You know what that means? They were asking and asking and asking. It never happened. You ever been there? God could cry tears now, asking and asking and asking, and nothing's happening. Nothing's changing. And you feel broken. And you're like, God, is, are you even there? That's where Zechariah is at. But instead of being able to say that to God, God, are you there? I'm sad. I'm hurt. I'm disappointed. Where are you? Instead of coming authentically to the Lord, he locked down so that when the angel showed up, he wasn't ready for what God wanted to do next. He wasn't ready for the moment where God said, I finally have something on this prayer. I know you've been praying it a long time. I haven't been silent. It, hadn't been, I haven't, it hasn't fallen on deaf ears. I've just been ready for the right moment to bring you into this, what I want to do in you. And he wasn't ready. And so the Lord just said, well, I love you too much. Just zip it, okay? And then 
and I'm going to bring this thing about. And when I do, then you'll be able to speak. And by then, you will have actually felt the thing. That's what he was saying. You need to stop talking. You need to hear. You need to, you need to actually feel the thing that's going on in me. And so you and I get some, find ourselves at that place where there's beautiful promises, the word of God. And we say, yeah, but. And the Lord's saying, no, are you ready to receive because you've been real with me? And so the question is, how do we get ready to receive what God wants to give us? How do we get ready for that? How do we, and we go back to what I said before, and we bring our sadness to God and we open our hands to receive what he wants to give us. We bring it to him authentically. Instead of hiding it, instead of trying to act like we got it figured out, instead of doing the American I tough up or instead of doing the churchy, uh, you should have faith that can overcome this sadness. You just bring that sadness in a very real way. You bring your disappointment. You bring that to him and say, okay, Lord, here it is. What do you say? Here's the great question. What does Jesus actually do with our sadness? What does he actually do with it? Well, this is where we get to see the beauty of who our God is. Isaiah 53, we get those prophetic words 700 years before Jesus would come on the scene. And here's what he says. Number one, Jesus meets with us in it. Wherever you're sad, whatever you're disappointed in, he meets with us in his, it meets with us in it. Isaiah 53, 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Let me tell you something. God knows sadness. He doesn't sit in his ivory tower wondering how the little people are working through it all. He came right into the middle of it to experience it himself. Man of sorrows acquainted with grief, meaning this, when you and I bring our sadness to him, what God says is, I'm right there with you. I dignify what you're going through, and I am in this moment. I know exactly how you feel. I know how you feel. I know what it's like to be rejected. I know what it's like to have loss. I know what it's like to be abandoned. I know that feeling. I dignify that. But the amazing thing is, is he doesn't just stop there. Because he then not only dignifies it and sits in it with us, but then he asks us, let me carry this. Would you let me carry this? That's what he says in Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Wow. God of the universe, dignifying our hurt and then saying, but I'll carry it if you'll bring it to me. He isn't just acquainted with it. He wants to carry it. That's why he came to make these exchanges with us. For us to not, not to have to pretend like we're okay. Like we aren't hurt or we don't have these broken things in our lives, but to show up fully to what's going on on the inside and be able to bring it to him for him to be able to carry. 
It's just say, God, I'm done trying to hold this. This is yours. I'm going to give this to you. The abundant life, hear this, the abundant life is actually showing up to our emotions and letting God begin to have his way. It's actually saying, God, I'm, I'm showing up to it. I'm really hurt. I'm sad. And I'm showing up. If you want to know how you have life and life to the full and also experience those troubles that Jesus described, the answer is we show up to all of it fully. Your mountaintop experiences, we show up to God. We go, those valley sad experiences, we show up to God. We give him the whole gamut of our lives rather than pretend that we don't have it. That's what we do. And you know what's amazing? Jesus does the same thing. One of the other messianic psalms or those uh, declarative songs that were written this, a thousand years before Jesus came on the scene, one of them is so powerful. It says in Psalm 45, verse 7, it says, you have loved, right? Speaking of the Messiah, you've loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond all your companions. This is unbelievable. Prophetic word about Jesus is this. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and he was anointed with the oil of gladness above everyone, meaning he knew sadness and he was the most glad, happy dude that ever lived. It's both. This, you want to know what abundant full life is? That's what it is. To be able to be in both places, not to pretend and self-protect, but to be fully, and that's where, he, by the way, Jesus was with his father. He had the full measure of grief. We saw it in the garden. And he had the full measure of joy. It was his delight to go to the cross. That's the abundant life. Not burying it down, but showing up to it. Not woe is me, I'm nothing, but I'm glad because God is present with me. Some of you guys, listen, you have deep and real and powerful and sweet promises from God, but you feel a deadness and a coldness. And if you've wondered why you feel dead and cold with the Lord, I'd just love to suggest to you that we are doing that normal thing. When we feel the thing we don't want to feel, we bury it down and we self-protect and we move into self-pity and we keep ourselves from the abundant life that God has given us in Christ. It's not because you don't believe God, not because you don't believe that he's great and good and powerful and life-giving. You believe all the right things. You just aren't experiencing it on the inside. And he's saying, instead of saying all the things, why don't you actually show up and bring all the things to me and exchange it for my presence? Your buried sadness isn't getting you anything. It's keeping you stone cold and at arm's distance from me. And you're going to stay in that place until you are willing to just show up and say, God, this is the real, raw, authentic me. And I need you to come and help me. I need you to speak to me. And I need you to tell me what you would say. When we experience these hurts, when we bring them to the Lord with our sadness, our weeping, expressing it, that's where the beginning of the abundant life takes place.
If you want the full life, it's the full gamut. So we bring it to him. It's that dynamic place where he meets with us and he begins to speak and assure us. I know exactly where you're at. I know exactly what you're walking through and I'm with you in it. You don't have to do this alone. We get that incredible promise, not only here and now, but by the way, he says this, every sorrow you experience now will be redeemed. Everyone, everyone. So he says in John chapter 14 says, let not your hearts be troubled. What if, by the way, he said John 16, in this life, you'll have troubles. But then he gets, let not your hearts be troubled. Why? Believe in God. Hear this. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you where? To myself. That's heaven. The presence of God. That where I am, you may also be. That's what he's saying. I actually want you then, and I want you now. I want you face to face then. So he's saying, I'm going to take you to me. That's where we're headed. I'm going to do it then, but I also want to do it now. That then, by the way, is described in Revelation 21, where it says, he's going to wipe away every tear from your eyes. And death shall be no more, and neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. God will deal with all the sadness in the end gloriously and beautifully. That's the promise. And so we have this one hour to decide, are we going to self-protect? Are we going to go all in with God with the whole thing, being real with him and honest, to be able to give him our sadness and exchange for the power of his presence near to us. You guys, you can put your Bibles down. We're just going to take a moment to connect with the Lord. We just have like, four, we got four minutes left. Would you just, if you would, just for this four minutes, just give your heart in a real way to the Lord. Let everything else fade away for just a second. Scripture literally says, Psalm 55, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. I'll read that again. Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. So just going to take this moment to cast our cares on him. A few questions I just want to ask you. and I, They came from, by the way, the, a book called Voice of the Heart. If you have not read Voice of the Heart, I highly encourage you to read it. I just want to give these questions to you. And you just be real with the Lord. What are you sad about? You just tell the Lord that. You don't have to tell me. I'm not asking you to tell your neighbor but I am asking you to be real with the Lord and tell him what you were sad about.
Would you ask this? What wound has been unable to heal because of the sadness that you're not feeling? There's just any place hurt that you've struggled to heal from because you aren't really fully showing up to the sadness and giving it to the Lord. Just ask him that. Finally, just, is there any sadness in your life that you're fighting against actively? Just trying to push it away, stuff it down, sweep it under the rug. Lord, we bring these things to you. Would you offer to, if it's helpful for you to open your hands, I open them, but more than anything, just in your heart, would you offer that to him in a real and authentic way? Here's, here's where I'm at. Here's where I'm sad. Here's what I'm fighting against. Here's where I'm hurt. I'm just trying to be honest with you. Give it to him. It's an offering. It's your Christmas gift to him. And then would you just ask him, Lord, what would you say to me right now with this? What would you tell me? What's your heart about this? Just ask him right now. Just see what he'd say to you. get it all, Lord. You get our highs and you get our lows. You get our gladness and rejoicing, but you get our sadness too. And Lord, we're just here to tell you we don't want to fake through this life. We want to show up fully. So would you help us do it? Would you ask him for help? If you have a hard time sharing, Ask him to help you. We want to receive your presence, your nearness and closeness in our grief. And we know that the fullness of life is found wherever your presence is. So we're inviting you into the hardest places. We're inviting you into the toughest exteriors. We're inviting you into the toughest most difficult parts of our lives. We're showing up to it, Lord, because your presence is what we want. We love you and we bless you. We'll have a couple of prayer partners to be up here to pray with you. If you've got anything going on in your world, we'd love to pray. 
We love praying for each other and with each other and just asking God to move. And so we're here for that. You guys stand with, <clears throat> with us and let's um, close out. I'm gonna pray a benediction as we go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious, full towards you. The Lord lift up his countenance, his presence upon you and give you peace that you cannot create for yourself that only comes from him. In the name of Jesus, who is the prophesied, faithful Messiah, and who is the King of the universe and the Son of God, we pray. Amen.